Amen. I'd like to invite you to return to Jeremiah 18. Jeremiah 18, the title of this message is In His Hands. In His Hands. Jeremiah 18. And let's start by reading the first three, that's the first, uh, first two verses. Jeremiah 18.1, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Let's pray. Lord, I am amazed that you would invite me anywhere, or Jeremiah, or or any of us. Lord, that you would, what is man that thou art mindful of us? Lord, that you, but you're not only mindful of us, and you don't always, and you don't just invite us, and when we come, you don't just tolerate us, you delight in us, Lord, and you want what's best for us, and Lord, I don't understand that. Because we don't deserve that kind of grace, mercy, and love. We don't deserve it. But Lord, I thank you that that's how you are. I thank you, Lord, that you are so faithful in our lives. As we think about these graduates today, Lord, we we think about the next, all the things that they'll be facing as they step out of these doors and into that next adventure that you're calling them to. Lord, and help them to remember every day Every day, just as in the very context of the passage that says, great is thy faithfulness. That very context, it says that your mercies are new every morning. Help them to wake up every day and find new mercy and great faithfulness. Lord, we need that now. We need that today. So would you encourage our graduates, certainly, and and give them uh, an increase in their faith in you. But Lord, we all need that. We all need that. So would you bless your church today? Would you edify us as only you can? For it's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. I want you to notice verse 2 again, the end of that verse. Three words at the end of that verse. Hear my words. Let me say to the graduates, uh, you're going to be hearing as you, as you enter out. Some of you are going to maybe go away from this area for a while. Some of you not right away. You'll stay in this area, maybe go out later. But whether it's off to college, off to the military, right into the workforce, wherever God leads you, you're going to be confronted with a lot of voices. You'll be confronted with a lot of, really, a lot of opinions. And not everybody, and even, not, even though the majority of the people you come in contact with might be saying one thing, they might be wrong. Not everybody is going to be leading you to a closer walk with God. Some people are going to lead you away from God. But here's the thing. For some, it'll, it'll be easy to tell, oh, that's, that's not of God. I need to avoid that. But Satan is crafty. And he can package things, and just like Brother Don was talking about this morning with temptation, uh, Satan can gift wrap and package things so that it looks appealing to us, and we don't even realize that it's it's, it's very harmful. So what's the remedy? How will you know when that subtle attack comes in? How will you know when the voice that you're listening to is not of God is actually leading you in the opposite direction? And the only way you're going to know, we already said it. It's the last three words of verse 2. God tells us, hear my words. But it's not just, we don't get a weekly shot 
You know, it's not like, okay, I've been in church on Sunday. You might even come Wednesday too. Uh, Sunday or Wednesday, I, a couple times a week, I heard the word of God at church. Well, we all ought to be feeding ourselves, right? Praise God we have a church where the word is preached, but are you eating outside of church? Are you, are you malnutritioned in your walk? See, that's a dangerous place to be. We all need to be daily walking with God, daily hearing his voice. And I'll tell you this too. Uh, and I can say this from experience, having traveled a lot of places when I was in the Navy, not every church, not every church is about the Word of God. There's some church, many, many churches aren't. Many churches are about something else. They, they might, the church might be large in size, might have a lot of programs, might appeal on a lot of different levels, but if you're not getting fed at that church, and you young people, if God calls you away from this area and you're looking for a good church to, to go to, what are you gonna, how are you going to measure that? Don't necessarily measure it by the size of the group of people your age. We, we tend to be attracted to that. Well, I can make friends. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, make sure those, those people you're making friends with are friends with Jesus. And make sure that the church that you're going to, big or small, is that they're majoring on the word of God. And they're pointing you to the son of God. Because if they're doing anything else, that's not what the church is here for. See, that's the measuring stick. Am I being fed? And am I feeding myself? God says to Jeremiah, he says, get down to the potter's house. And you know what he tells him? He says, Jeremiah, I'll meet you there. God's going to meet him there in a special way. Now, Jeremiah, if Jeremiah had stayed where he was, Jeremiah knows very clearly the will of God right now. I am supposed to go to the potter's house, but I don't know why. Uh, so if Jeremiah's like some of us, he might stay where he's at until he can figure it out. See, don't try to figure out the will of God. Just walk in it. By and by, you'll understand more. And Jeremiah did later that day. He said, okay, this is why God wanted to meet me at the potter's house. He says, I'll meet you there, Jeremiah. I will speak to you there. That's where you want to be, where God's, God's doing the talking. Amen? Uh, and Jeremiah goes out of obedience. But I want to tell you something. He didn't just go out of obedience. And I hope in your Christian walk that you obey the Lord and you obey the word of God. I hope that you do. But that's not all there is to it. Jeremiah went because he had an appetite. He had a new desire that he didn't have before he knew the Lord. Now, I'm talking primarily today to, to people who are saved, Christians. Uh, this message is primarily for Christians. But if you're not, if you've never been born again, then you can take all the things as God's going to deal with Jeremiah and as we can kind of stand back and see what he does in this man's life and be blessed by it. You can take all of these promises of God, all these wonderful things in this passage. If you're not saved, take it as an invitation, which you could have. Amen? You could have these things. Take it as an invitation. God wants you to have what Jeremiah has here, what all Christians have, a relationship with him. An appetite for the word of God is one of the clearest evidences of salvation. Now, our appetite as Christians is not always what it should be. And sometimes we get caught up in lesser things or we get distracted. It's not always what it should be. But let me say it this way. It's always there. Uh, it's always there. We might get distracted, we might get off track, but we always have that hunger. We want to go back to God. And we can't get too far away because the Holy Spirit's hitting our conscience saying, get back. And, and we have an appetite. And Christian, and, and to the graduates, let me say this, you will not grow. You will not grow except in the Word of God. Amen? And the Word of God in you. You've got to eat. Teenagers understand eating, right? But it, there's a spiritual application of that. We have to receive the words of God and again, it's every day. Now, as we think about the context of what was going on in the nation of Israel in these days of Jeremiah, it was not popular 
to be a Christian, to be a follower of God. It was not popular to be a believer, even in a place like Israel, a place where they had the scriptures. You know, our country has had the scriptures for a long time, and it's becoming less and less popular here, isn't it? You see, it's not about what's popular in the life of the Christian. The church runs counter to the culture, not in the way of the culture. And see, so if we're going to be lights in a dark place, that that means we don't just blend in. We're light and we're salt. And salt makes people thirsty, thirsty for Christ. So these were dark days in the time of Jeremiah, dark days for Israel. There were many in Jeremiah's generation, many of his contemporaries, people that he would have um, seen uh, his same age, around his same age, his generation, they were rejecting the word of God. There weren't a lot of good examples to follow in Jeremiah's day. But that's okay. Jeremiah still walked with the Lord, oftentimes alone. And I hope, young people, that you're not about following the crowd because often the crowd is going the wrong way. Amen? Follow Christ, and if it's just you and him, praise God, you're in good company. And you know what will happen? If it's just you and him, you're not going to be lonely. You'll think, I don't have any friends. It's just me and Christ. No, he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And you know what will happen? Some of that crowd that was leading you the wrong way, they'll see something in you that they don't have, and you'll win some of them. But I guarantee you, if you just blend in like a chameleon in the wrong crowd, you'll never be a testimony for them. Jeremiah was a testimony for his generation. He's a blessing to us to this day. A lot of people in Jeremiah's day didn't listen to him. But how many people have been saved? How many people have grown? How many people have a closer walk with God? Because Jeremiah is in our Bible. See, God's still using Jeremiah to this day, even though he was very unpopular in his day. And I'll tell you something. America is going the way of Israel, of ancient Israel. Our country, uh, we've had the scriptures just like they had. uh, But we're, as a country, we're, um, we're rejecting the word of God and turning to idols. Now, they would, they would cut down trees and make a statue out of it and worship that. We don't do that in America. We're more sophisticated in our idolatry, but it's still idolatry. And it's still anti-God, anti-Christ. And if you walk with Christ, you'll be unusual in your generation. You'll be peculiar. And you might all your life do that and, and only win one person to Christ. Praise God for that soul. Walk with Jesus because that's the only safe place to be. Take a look at verse 3. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. Now, I'm going to be brief today. There's, it's, been a, it's been a long week for many of us, a lot, a lot of things going on, a lot of things still going on today. I'm not going to be long. I have basically three principles I just want to mention briefly in this passage and will be done today. But the first principle, I need to tell you, it's super obvious. It's super obvious. Principle number one, the potter works on the clay. Well, yeah, that's pretty obvious. But think about it in terms of God working on you and God working on me. See, uh, the clay will never fulfill its ultimate purpose, its ultimate potential, unless it yields to the hand of the potter. The clay has a lot of potential in it. Uh, and, but it'll never reach that unless it, it yields to the potter's touch. Ephesians 2.10 says we are his workmanship. Now, question I have then is, is why? Why does God bother with working on us? Couldn't he get it done a lot faster and more efficiently himself? Yeah, he could. So why does God work through us? And that same book that says that we are his 
workmanship also gives us an idea of why he's doing it. He wants to put on display his grace, his mercy, his love, his compassion. Why? Because that's just how he is. I don't know too many, too many like that, but I know God is like that. That's his character. And he wants to do that. And he can do that in a special way through lumps of clay. <laughs> he can do that by, by changing us to make us something profitable for his kingdom. That's, you know it's God because it can't be us. Because left to ourselves, we're a mess and we'll mess everything up. But if we do anything right, glory to God. Amen. Amen. So that's why he does it is so that he can express that love and compassion. He doesn't need us, but he desires for us to know him. He desires fellowship with us because that's the best thing for us. Have you ever met anybody that was that unselfish? That, oh, I just want the best for you. That's our God. That's the grace of God. That's how he is. And it's, it's kind of strange to us because we tend to be selfish. Jesus says in John 15, 5, I am the vine and ye are the branches. He said, without me... You can do what? Nothing. Now, the mistake we make is, well, the way we apply that is, I'm going to try to do a whole lot in my own strength, and then when I need help, I'll ask God. No, that's backwards. Without Him, you can do nothing. Now, there might be a lot of activity. You might be busy. But I'll tell you what, it's like you ever spin your wheels in the mud? That's what you're doing. That's what I'm doing when we're doing it. Uh, We're not even, you know, our Bibles are closed. The light's off, and we're walking around. And we're going to stub our toes. We need the light on. We're going to fall on our faces. We need the light on at all times. His word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Otherwise, we're just spinning our wheels. I love that passage in Philippians 2.13. It is God that worketh in you not to do of his good pleasure. It does say that. But before it says that, it is God that worketh in you, does anybody know? To, To will. See, that means it's not just God makes me do what he wants me to do. God forces me uh, like a puppet to do his will. Now, God will chasten me. God will, God will put conviction on me because he knows his will is best for me. But he changes my desire, so I want it. You know what I used to want? My will. And when God works in me to will and to do of his good pleasure, he's changed my heart. And so now I want what God wants. And that, folks, is the miracle of the potter and the clay. The clay, you know, as a Christian, Jesus says you're, you're in his hand, John 10, 28. You'll never be out of his hand. You're always going to be in his hand as a Christian. But sometimes we're in his hand. We don't act right. <laughs> we don't, you know, this clay, this clay in this context is inanimate. It doesn't have any kind of decision-making process. But we're, we're made of clay too, aren't we? And, and we sometimes exercise our own will. But he has us in his hand, and the best thing for us to do is rest right there, submit to him. Hear my words. Hear what he has to say and, and live our lives accordingly. In Revelation 4.11, it says uh, that that's the reason we were created to begin with, for his good pleasure. For his good pleasure. Jeremiah goes to the potter's house. I've heard people talk about going down to um, potteries in America. And sometimes they're situated right near a, a big area where there's a lot of natural resources, a lot of clay like in the back. And one guy was saying he went there and just... It just looked terrible in the back. I mean, just all this. Why don't you clear all that out? Oh, no, no, that has, that's the clay. And the potter would go in and get an ugly lump of clay. And you walk in, I'm sure Jeremiah saw that going on, or maybe the potter kept it inside on the shelves, wherever he kept all that. And Jeremiah probably thought, you need to clean up in here. What is all this? You know, the potter said, oh, no. See, you can't, you can't see the clay the way, I, the way I look at it. You can't see the clay the way I see it. Why would the potter bother 
with that ugly piece of clay, he's got to pull all these things out of it, all these stones, all this stuff. Why would he bother with that? Principle number two, we've seen that the, pro, the potter works on the clay. That's obvious. Principle number two, though, think about this. The potter sees what the clay will become. Praise God for that. Look at verse four. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred. It was marred in the hand of the potter. So what did he do? He just gave up, right? No. So he made it again. He reworked it. He made it again another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make it. You know, aren't you glad that when we look unto Jesus, we, we discover, Hebrews 12, 2, that he's the author and the finisher of our faith? I mean, what if he was the author and the rest is, you know, good luck. <laughs> the rest, boy, that, that would be a train wreck, wouldn't it? But being that he's the author and the finisher, I'm going to finish well in Christ by the grace of God. But he's in between working. In fact, Philippians 1.6 tells it that way. He who hath begun a good work in you, past tense, shall perform it, what's that? Present tense. Unto the day of Jesus Christ, future tense. He's through the whole process. The potter is, is working on the clay. Why? Because he sees what we're going to become. Not just what we are. He can see beyond the rough edges. In Ephesians, it talks about the fact that we're adopted. We're in a new family, the family of God. We've been accepted in the beloved. And we're even, now, now think about this, we're even seated in heavenly places, sitting together in heavenly places in Christ. Now, it doesn't feel like it, and, and we're not there necessarily physically right now, but in the mind of God and the heart of God, we're as good as there. God sees the finished product. God sees the end goal. And, and what is that? As, as God's working on us, he's pulling away things and working on the clay, uh, what is he really trying to do right here, right now? And the answer is he's conforming us into his own image. The clay has a lot of rough edges, has a lot of impurities in it, has a lot of things that have to go away. And uh, it takes a skilled potter to cut away what, what needs to go, what's unprofitable, unnecessary. He takes away everything that's going to hinder the clay from the goal. But let me tell you, sometimes the clay does not like that process. And sometimes the clay, oftentimes the clay doesn't understand the process. Why? Why am I going through this? Why does this have to be this way in my life? But let me encourage you. One day we will understand all of it. By and by we will understand uh, the will of God in, in its entirety when we, we see him face to face. God as the potter does the same thing in our lives. He cuts away everything. He cuts away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. That's not Christ-like. So we end up resembling Christ. You remember earlier we talked about John 15, the, uh, the vine and the branches. Why doesn't Jesus say, I am the tree and, and you are the branches? Why didn't he say it that way? I believe he says vine and branches instead of tree because with a tree, it's easy to tell the difference with a tree, isn't it? Where the, where the trunk kind of ends and the branch begins. It's easy to tell the difference between the, the tree and the branch. But you look at a grapevine. And often, it's hard to discern with a grapevine. It's hard to discern where the vine, uh, you know, leaves off and, and where the branch begins. Uh, so, so much the branch resembles the vine. And that's what God is doing in our lives, to make us not act like Christ, to make us Christ-like from the inside out. And so that when people see us uh, and, and hear our voice, they, they see him and hear his voice. And, and they can say, what is so special about you? And you can say, what's so special about me is not me. It's Christ who is the vine giving nourishment to this branch. 
And that I'll bear fruit. That comes, the vine gets the glory for that. But I look so much like my Savior because uh, I'm, I'm grafted into that vine. And uh, the potter is, is, uh, is working on me day by day. So we've seen principle number one, the potter works on the clay. Number two, the potter sees what the clay will become. And then finally, the potter, and this is very important. And, I, and as soon as I say it, a lot of you are going to say, yes, thank God for that. The potter is patient with the clay. I need that. I need that. The potter is patient with the clay. I want you to notice again in verse 4, that clay was marred in the hand of the potter. Well, he said, okay, I'm just going to make it again. Yesterday in the Knowing God time, a few men were sitting in the back, and one of the men mentioned that, that children's song, He's Still Working on Me. And pretty much every man in there said, yep, and me too, and me too, and me too. In that children's song, it references uh, Genesis chapter 1, and it says, you know, God took six days to make everything, the universe. How many Christians in here has God been working on you and me more than six days? Yeah. <laughs> yes, he has. Our God, our God is patient. And humanly speaking, when the clay is marred in this process that's being described here, humanly speaking, when the clay is marred, sometimes that's the fault of the potter, the human potter. But not in this context. God, is, God represents the potter. He doesn't make any mistakes. God makes no mistakes. So if the clay is marred, not coming out right, whose fault is that? Well, ironically, it's the clay's fault in, the, in, this, in this context. It's the clay's fault um, for not submitting to the hand of the potter. We, we as clay, we have a will that we can either exercise or we can submit to, submit to God's will. And the clay, the clay sometimes forgets who the potter is. The clay sometimes wants to be potter for a day. When I was growing up, uh, they said they had this bright idea. I don't know that I ever saw it instituted, but they said something about if you win this competition in school, uh, you, we, we, you can have one of the students can be principal for a day. I don't think anybody ever won that. I think they made it really hard. I don't, I don't remember the details, but I don't remember anybody ever being principal for, for a day that was my age because you know what happened? We'd all go home. You know, school's out, let's go, you know, as my first, you know, decision as principal. So um, that'd have been great. But see, we forget who the potter is, and we think, I want to be the potter just, not even today, but just for a little while. Can I be the potter? Can I do my own thing? And boy, that doesn't turn out very well for the lump of clay. Look at verse 5. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter? saith the Lord. Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. When I think about the, faith, the, uh, the patience of God in this passage, I often think about God's faithfulness to us. Uh, he gives us chance after chance, and he's always faithful. Sometimes we're not. And I want um, to close with that thought. If you go to the next book over, the book of Lamentations, which Jeremiah also wrote, Lamentations, Lamentations 3, you'll notice this was a message first to Jeremiah, but secondly, ultimately to his generation, right? Uh, and then it's, it's in the Word of God, so it has eternal value. It's, it applies to us too. But when it was first given, it was first given to Jeremiah, and then he was supposed to give it to the house of Israel. And you know what they did with it? They rejected it. And that's why the book after Jeremiah is named Lamentations, which means to cry out. They went into captivity. They wouldn't hear the word of God, so they received the chastening of God. Now, you know, 
Young people, you know, if, if you hear the word of mom and dad, there won't be as much chastening going on, right? And we see that to a much greater extent in our walk with the Lord. If we would just humble ourselves and hear what he has to say to us and say yes to that, there would be a lot less chastening in our lives. But the Israelites had failed. They're gone into captivity. Jeremiah, as he writes Lamentations, he's looking out at Jerusalem, and it's, it's destroyed. But this is what he says. Verse 21, Jeremiah, I mean, Lamentations 3.21, This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. Now remember, pastor's been telling us hope is that, that expectation, you know, that, hey, God's going to keep his promises. Yeah, but how? I don't see how. Everybody's, not everybody, but most of the Israelites are in captivity now. There's only a small group left, and the group that's left, there's ruins. How, how is all this going to work out? I know this, even though we can't always see the end of a thing, we can trust God who's already there. We can trust the promises of God, even though we don't see how it's going to all come out. You look up. You look ahead. Well, it looks kind of bleak. Well, you should be looking up. <laughs> the ahead is going to work itself out. God's in control of that. So Jeremiah says, I have, have I hope? Verse 22, and it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, wiped out. It's by the grace of God that there's a book of lamentations, that, that the whole nation wasn't wiped out, that God's not like we are, that he's not impatient and says, oh, I'm done. I'm done with you. No. He's still working on me. And he was still working on them. And this was hard chastening, very hard. He says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Why? Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Amen. When God chastens us. It's, he does it out of love. He does it because it's what we need. He does it also, though, because we haven't been listening. He's been telling us all along, don't go that way, don't go that way. And we went that way. And so we need the chastening because that definitely gets our attention. Now, we've seen that the potter works on the clay. The potter sees what the clay will become. The potter is patient with the clay. He's faithful. Let me close with this thought then. What is the clay's responsibility? And we've hinted at it a few times, but it's simply this. Submit to the hand of the potter. Submit to the hand of the potter. As a Christian, you're always there, but we don't always submit. We don't always submit. And I want to read to you a very familiar passage. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read it quickly. In connection with the mercies of God that Jeremiah mentioned Lamentations, listen to this reference from Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And notice this, that we, as these lumps of clay, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, there's a passage in the New Testament that talks about being a vessel fit for the master's use. And we need to sit still in the master's hands. Amen? For, that to, for, for us to be a vessel that's fit for his use. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, how plain, how simple it is. How you use things from everyday life, just observing the potter and the clay and things going on in his workshop. How you can use something so basic and so simple, uh, just as you did, Lord Jesus, with the parables when you walked this earth, so, so basic. You can use these, these things to draw our attention to our deep spiritual needs. And Lord, I, I thank you that we can have the good and acceptable and perfect will of God for our lives. 
if we will hear your words, if we will submit in your hands. And I pray for our young graduates as they head out. Lord, they'll do just that. Lord, we all need that. We all need that. By your grace, Lord, would you help us? Would you help us? Would you humble us, Lord, that they'll need to be less chastening and, and Lord, just more sitting at your feet daily and hearing from you. We ask this in Jesus' name for his sake.